Amen, amen, amen. Amen. Come on, somebody get excited. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. I took my first Sunday off this year, last week, to celebrate 23 years of marriage. Amen. So now you guys know who to pray for, that poor, beautiful wife of mine that has put up with me all of these years. Amen. Amen. Let's get excited. Let's press in. Ready? I believe God has a word that will really touch you. I believe God has a word. Listen, God's word never returns void. So if you just listen to, to one scripture that we read today, that alone is enough to sustain you, is enough to carry you. Amen? So let's press in. Let's, let's not be distracted. Let's get everybody sitting down and, 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 and ready for God's word. As a matter of fact, let's stand and just receive God's word. Amen. The words from Isaiah chapter 45, verses 2 through 8. I will go before you and level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes in secret places that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by your name. For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel, my chosen, I call you by your name. I name you, though you do not know me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Shower, O heavens, from above, and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. Amen. 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 Father, we thank you for your word, God. We thank you, Father God. We ask you right now that you would just remove the speaker and the listener, God, that you would just, just be our hearts, God, that we would just see you, that we would just experience you, God. Release an encounter with you right now through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I got two, two quotes for you. You ready? We think we have to change, grow, and be good in order to be loved. But rather, we are loved and receive His grace so that we can change, grow, and be good. I might say amen. amen. So here, here's a word for the Lord, from the Lord for you. Don't try to make your bad part better no matter how much better you can make it, it will never be good enough. Give me your good part and your bad part and let me make you whole. Oh, man. Come on. Come on, that's a good word right there. I want to talk to you this morning about resistance, about opposition, 
about trials, about struggles. In a message titled, No Pain, No Gain. Somebody say amen. amen. See, resistance is something we understand all too well when it comes to exercise, right? We understand that that weights offer resistance, exercise machines and bikes and, and stair climbers and treadmills and all that. <coughs> they offer resistance to us in order to improve us. You with me? We understand that in, in the exercise world. But in regular life, we seem to struggle with that every other area of our lives. Amen? I want to talk to you about resistance. And, and I, I've, I have to tell you, I've, I've been learning to look at it differently. If, if you guys know us from the beginning, we've gone through some resistance. We've gone through some struggles. We've come from some places of pain. We've come through some issues. Right? Anybody here is issueless? No? You would have stayed home this morning, right? <laughs> so I'm, I'm learning. I've got to tell you, I'm learning to look at it differently. And, and, and I want, want to kind of help you to do that today, too, through the life of Paul in the last few chapters. You know, we've been studying through 2 Corinthians. I want to finish it today. I want to wrap up our study of this book as Paul shares his closing statements, his encouragements, and his warnings. Now, remember, as, as we get into this, remember that Paul is dealing with the whole church, right? So that means he's dealing with people that are obedient, people that love to serve, people that are, that are awesome, that are encouragers, and then he's also dealing with people that are delinquents, amen? People that are derelicts. People that, I don't know what they're doing in church because they don't want church. They don't want to be part of church. People that are disobedient. People that are disloyal. He's dealing with people that even rise up against him all the time. That seem the, seem to, the only reason they come to church, the only reason they're apart is so that they can go against Paul. And so Paul is dealing with, with those kind of people too. These, these were people that... That Paul, no matter what Paul did for them, they weren't going to respect him as an apostle. No matter how, how many times Paul laid down his life, after everything that Paul had done, after everything that Paul has shared, after all he's gone through, all he's given up, these people were still, didn't want him as a leader, or were still hold, were holding something against him as a leader. It's a tough lesson and a hard battle, but I found that there are always going to be people like that in our lives. Amen? We got two amens? There's always going to be people that are opposed us in our lives, right? There are always going to be people that don't agree with you just for the sake of disagreeing with you. Amen? There's always going to be people that just want to go against you. It's hot. No, it's not hot. Yes, it is hot. No, he said it's hot. It might not be hot. Maybe it's not that hot. It's hotter someplace else. People that always just want to bring friction. People that always just want to bring opposition. Anybody know people like that? Right? Point at them. They're like, no, no, be, be cool. Don't point at your husbands. Come on. But there's always people like that in our lives. And guess what? Sometimes God uses them. And I'll give you a deeper revelation. Sometimes God put them there. 
Y'all can be mad at God for a little while now. It's all right. Sometimes God puts them there. In, in chapter 11, Paul, is, Paul starts, you know, we've heard about all the struggles that Paul's been through, right? He talks about it here and there, and we, we hear some of the things as we've gone through First and Second Corinthians. But in chapter 11, Paul is like at, the, at his end, man. He's saying, listen, and, and he lists everything that he's gone through. And so if, you, if you're in your word, if you have your, your, your swords with you, if you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is about to list everything that he's gone through for this church at Corinth. Starting at around verse 23, he starts like this. I've worked much harder. He, he's talking about because the people, were, they, they, they like to follow the popular preachers, and they were following those manipulators and those people that were kind of always, you know, they were better polished than Paul, and they were sharper than Paul, but they were always, you know, underhanded, manipulating, bringing different gospels. And so Paul says, listen, I've worked harder than them. I've been jailed more often. I've been beaten up more times than I can count. I've been at death's door time after time. Listen, I've been flogged five times with, by the Jews with their 39 lashes. I've been beaten by the Romans' rods Three times I've been pummeled with rocks once and left for dead. I've been shipwrecked three times and immersed in the open sea for a full night and a day. Verse 26, in hard traveling year in and year out, I've had to ford rivers, fend off robbers, struggle with friends, struggle with foes. I've been at risk in the city. I've been at risk in the country. I've been endangered by the desert sun and by the sea storm. I've been betrayed by those who I thought were my brothers. Verse 27, I've known drudgery and hard labor, many a long and lonely night without sleep, many a missed meal, I've been blasted by the cold, I've been naked to the weather, and that's not even the half of it when you throw in the daily pressures and anxieties of all the churches. Paul says, as a pastor, when someone gets to the end of their rope, I feel the desperation in my bones. When someone is duped into sin, an angry fire burns in my gut. As, as I, I read this and started thinking, I started hurting for Paul. I started hurting. I said, how can Paul go through so much opposition? I started asking, why did God allow Paul to go through so much? And have you ever asked God, just me and Joshua, right? Like, God, why? why? Really this now? Anybody been in a situation and you say, God, now, at this point in my life, really, this too? Why me, God? Why this? Why now? And, and I was thinking about all this, and, and, and the crazy thing is, why I started thinking, why did God allow Paul, of all people, to get shipwrecked? Why did God allow Paul to get rocks thrown at him, to be cold, to be hungry, to go without, to be beaten, to be flogged? Do you know, does anybody here believe that God could have changed any one of those situations? Right? If, if the rest of the word is true, then, then God has turn all of those situations around for other people, right? Anybody ever wonder why you, though? How come, like, for me, God hasn't turned that around? How many of you have been broke as a joke for way too long? 
And he said, God, how come from me? You, I hear testimonies on Wednesday night, man, that God will drop a check in the mail. How come God didn't drop a check to me? How come every time God gives me a check, it's to give to somebody else? Anybody? We think selfish sometimes, right? We say, how come, God? How, how come God could have changed all of these situations? And I'm sure Paul asked, and I'm sure Paul prayed at moments like this, just like you and I have prayed. God, help me at this time. God, help me with this. Don't let this ship sink. And three times it sunk. God, help me. Don't, don't let that happen. And it would happen. God, don't let them catch me. And they would catch him. God, don't let them flog me. And they flogged them. God, don't let them throw rocks at me. And they threw rocks at him. How does Paul deal with so much struggle and so much disappointment and remain a Christian? How do we deal with all this resistance and keep pressing on? And in, in chapter 12, 15, Paul goes on. He says, I'd be most happy to empty my pockets and even mortgage my life for your good. How does someone keep on pressing on like that? Well, well I'm, I'm glad you asked. Because in the next chapter, Paul gives us a little insight into what keeps him going. Does anybody need a little insight? To, to, to keep going? Does anybody need some? Come on, then lean in. Get excited, man. I don't know about you, but I, I need this. I need this refreshing. I need to know. So we read in chapter 12. This is crazy. If you turn in, your, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and you read there in the beginning, you'll see Paul talks about this incredible experience that God gave him. And he says that somehow that God somehow took him to the third heaven. And, and he explains, I don't know if it was in the body or out of the body, I, I, I don't know, but he took me there and I saw third heaven. And, and, and he says, and, and he took me to paradise, and, and, and he says that I saw things that couldn't be described, I, I heard things that I, I couldn't even mention, and, and God hadn't allowed him to even tell anybody about this. This happened 14 years ago, and he's just referencing it now for the first time. And if you, if you read it in your Bibles, it might be a little confusing because in the beginning, he doesn't even want to attract attention to himself. He talks about himself in the third person. He said, I know a man who 14 years ago got caught up into heaven. The reason we know it's him is because in verse 7 he says, and because of this extravagance, God, so that I wouldn't get a big head, I was given the gift of a handicap. A thorn in my flesh. So you see how it goes from third person back to him and we know he's talking about himself. And so, so, so God caught him up into heaven and, and I can't even start to explain that he doesn't. He can't even explain it. So how can I even try to give you the picture? But just imagine this encounter that, that Paul had with God 14 years ago. Second <laughs> Corinthians 12, 7, he says... Because of that extravagance, because of that greatness that God allowed me to see, because of all those revelations, so that I would not get a big head. I'm reading for the message just to make it a little simpler. I was given the gift of a handicap. Does that even sound right? The gift of a handicap. Some of your Bibles will say, I was given a thorn in the flesh. Some of them will say, a messenger from Satan. God gave 
Paul a messenger from Satan. Does that mess with anybody's theology right now? God used the devil, because imagine the devil is always, always asking to, to attack us, because he can't touch us. Isn't that amazing? The enemy can't touch me. I, he cannot touch me. Do you, do you understand that? If you're a child of God, the enemy cannot touch you, but he's always asking to. He's always asking, let me get that pastor from the sanctuary. Let me add him. And God says, you don't touch my man. That's my man. You don't touch him. But there are times when God says, I'll let you do this. And uses the enemy to buffet his own. I, I know this is messing somebody up. This is too much to take on a summer morning. So he says, so that I wouldn't be given a, a big head. I was given this thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan, to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. Satan's angel did his best to get me down. What he in fact did was push me to my knees. No danger then of walking around high and mighty. Verse 8, at first I didn't think of it as a gift. How many people are right there still? This opposition that God allows us to face, this rebellion that God allows us to deal with, this, this oppression, this... this um, struggle, these trials, these, these buffets that, that, that God allows us. A lot of times we don't see it as a gift, amen? Unless you're weird or you're just more spiritual than the rest of us. Paul says, at first I didn't think of it as a gift and I begged God to remove it. Three times I begged God and then God said to me, my grace is enough. My grace is is all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. Some of your verses, your Bibles will say, in your weakness, my strength is made perfect. And so Paul says, therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can rest on me. You, you got to really catch this. Don't just amen because it sounds scriptural. He says in verse 10, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions, with calamities, because when I am weak, then I stand strong. I came across an article this week, and I like to read on the train, right? And I came across an article this week that, that was titled, Why Am I Still a Christian? Anybody ever ask yourselves that? And it fit right into kind of where my head was at as I've been studying this this week. And it, and it made me think about that list of Paul's. And then instead of asking why did God allow it, I started asking why did Paul keep going? Isn't that a great question? Why did Paul keep going? So many of us would have stopped after the first rock. Amen. I'm a Christian. Wait, wait, hold up. I'm not that much of a Christian. I ain't that Christian. I mean, you know, I go to church once in a while. Bam, another rock. You know, no, no I mean, you know, sometimes my wife makes me go. It's not that I want to go. All of a sudden, we start backing up, right? Anybody? 
Come on, right, right? We, we're scared to stand strong sometimes because we know if we say, you know what, I'm a Christian, ain't nothing going to get me down. That's the day the, the flat tire, the car breaks down, the AC goes in the house in the middle of the heat storm. That's the time there's a death in the family. That's the time somebody loses their job. And you, and you say, no, 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 I ain't ready to step into that kind of faith. I'm not ready to, that, that's not me. I'm a Christian, but I'm not that Christian. Come on, be honest with yourselves. So many of us would have stopped after the rock. Forget about the 39 lashes, 29. Forget about the being shipwrecked three times. I get seasick. I have, listen, I have literally, I've been on a ferry where I got seasick and I prayed that God would kill me. I, I'm not even joking. If, if you know me, you know that that's true. It's not the worst feeling in the world. I was seasick. I was in the bathroom of a ferry going to Black Island, and the boat was just going. And I knew there was still 40 minutes of this. And I'm green, and I'm throwing up. I, 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 I put, God, kill me, please. Kill, and I was serious. I wasn't even joking. I was serious. God, please end this. Kill me. Can you imagine being shipwrecked three times and being left in the ocean for a, day, a night and a day? A lot of us would have quit, man. I don't know. But you see, here's where we flip it. You ready? See, Paul has experienced something. He has a set of encounters with God that no persecution can remove. You with me? See, I understand why Paul became a Christian, but, but why was Paul still a Christian? And, and you know, in, in the article he started asking, usually when people ask you why you're a Christian, they expect that one conversion story, right? You guys know that one story that we tell, right? Why are you a Christian? Usually starts like this. I went through, I was at a hard point in my life. I was at an all-time low. Anybody, is this anybody's story? I tried drugs. I slept with everything that could move. I tried everything. I just, nothing satisfied me. I was at an all-time low, and God just tugged on my heart, and I gave my heart to the Lord, and that's, you know, and something happened. Amen? We all have these, these conversion stories, right, And where we say, man, just God met me there. Or, or some of you could say, man, I grew up in church all my life, and, and I just knew this was the right thing. And then, you know, when I got in my teen years, I kind of I flipped out a little bit, but I knew to come back because I knew there was nothing else but God. <clears throat> and that's when I gave my heart to the Lord, and that's when I got serious. There, there's so many wacky stories of how God meets us and draws us out. Isn't it awesome that God loves us so much that he'll meet us in weird ways? My wife and I, you know how we came to church? We were on a bus to Atlantic City. Somebody thought it was funny, but I'm serious. We were on a bus to Atlantic City, and we were house-sitting one of my, my cousin's house a very fancy apartment in the city. And we were ironing clothes on her bed, and we thought uh, we left the iron on the bed on. And then we knew she had two big cats that were always jumping on the bed. We said, if that cat jumps on the bed, that iron is going to fall on the bed, and we're going to burn the apartment down. Oh, my God, what are we going to do? Here we are on a bus that you know takes three hours to get to Atlantic City. By the time we get there and turn her back around, that place is burnt down. Amen? So in the back of the bus to Atlantic City, my wife and I, God is so gracious, ain't he? My wife and I made a deal with God. 
<laughs> she think it's really funny. You probably did it. <laughs> so I made a deal with God. I said, honey, we, we did some fake prayer. I mean, it's real, but, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it wasn't a, a good prayer. It wasn't a, a practice prayer. It wasn't a church prayer. It was like, listen, God, first of all, we ain't even doing the things that we should be doing. Second of all, we even headed to the wrong place. Third of all, we, this is the, we don't even talk to you. But God, if you keep that apartment from burning down, if you keep those cats from knocking down that iron, if you keep that place from burning down, this was Saturday. Sunday, we'll go to church. We already knew the church to go to because her parents had grown up in church, her mother, right? And so we knew the church to go to, right? So it was, amen. We prayed, good. We went. My wife won like $75 on the slot machines. She was, the rest of us lost everything. Anyway, we had a great time. We came back home that night. The iron was up on the bed. There was no fireman. Now comes the real test, right? Now you say, all right, now, God, that wasn't a real prayer, right? Oh, come on, God. You didn't really stop the iron from anybody. You go back, right? You're like, come on, God. This wasn't real. This was just some, I mean, the house ain't burnt down now, so it doesn't matter, right? But you know what? We, we thank God. We kept our, our word to God, and that Sunday morning we went to church, I don't remember what was preached, but I know that by the end of the sermon, my wife and I were both at the front. We gave our hearts to the Lord. We never turned back again. God, God wanted us to get some place where he can, we can have an encounter with him. Isn't that amazing? And, and listen, we all have a, a conversion stories like, you know, you know, Paul had an amazing conversion story. Paul was a religious nut. He was chasing people that called themselves Christian. We even have record in the Word of how he watched someone be killed because they were a Christian. The first martyr, Paul was there standing by watching. So, so Paul was a religious nut chasing Christians, and he was even on a mission now to, to go to a town to capture more Christians, to get them locked up. Because he was this religious fanatic. And what happened? Uh, on, on the way there, God smacks him off a horse, throws him to the ground, and says, why are you persecuting me? And he says, what do you mean persecuting you? And he had an encounter with Jesus. Left him blind for three days to let him think about it. Sometimes God will stop you from seeing anything or hearing anything so you can marinate. Anybody been in that state? And then, and then he tells them, Leave here and, and, and go to this place and somebody's going to meet you there. He's going to open your eyes. And then God speaks to that person in a dream and he says, I need you to get up and I need you to go to there. This person named Saul is going to come there. You're going to meet him. You're going to open his eyes and, and you guys are going to do incredible things for me. Is that a crazy story? So Paul has this, this, this amazing um, conversion story, but... The problem is a lot of people have these conversion stories, but how many of you know people that have some incredible stories, but they're, they're not still Christians? Isn't that like one of the saddest things that breaks my heart? When you have people that have had this amazing, that God did all of these things to get you to where he wanted you, to speak directly to you, to open your heart, to crack it open, and to, to minister to you, and you were changed that day, but today you're still not serving the Lord. So there's, there's people that, that, that are not still Christians, and, and 
you know, there's some theological schools of thought that, that would say, well, those people that had conversion stories and they're not still Christians, that means they were never converted. They were never saved. But I, I can't stand on that. I think what happens is we forget. We forget the experience we had with God. We allow sin, we allow other desires to erase those encounters we had with God. We allow ourselves to think that after that conversion experience, after that one encounter, that was it. And, and, and there's no more encounters with God, and so we lose it. Church, we have to daily, weekly get ourselves in the place where we can have encounters with God. Listen, if somebody asks you why you're a Christian and you still have to go back 15 years to that conversion story, you're saying God hasn't done anything in 15 years. Why should that person listen to you? That your God could have died by now. That was 15. You, you understand? We have to, why are you a Christian? Listen, because just last week, God met me where I needed. Because, because just the other day, this happened and God was there. Because I, you don't understand what happened at my job, how everybody got laid off and I'm still here. You don't understand how I thought I was going to lose this and lose that, and, and bam, it, it was multiplied. You don't you understand? We have to rest on those experiences and those encounters, and they have to be daily, weekly. We can't go back. Amen? Relying on something that happened 15 years ago to sustain us, it's like saying, that's okay, I'm not hungry, I ate last year. I had a good dinner last year. You know that's not going to sustain you for today, amen? You need fresh bread, church. You need new life. That's why we need to gather together. That's why we need to share with each other. The reason we, we come together is not just to, to worship together, not just to hear a word. All those are important. We need that. But we come together because we need to encourage one another. We come together because we need to find out, man, you were struggling. How happened? No, I got that job. Oh, man, praise God. We need to encourage one another. No, man, I'm still praying for that job. All right, man, we're gonna, we need to get together and pray. Listen, in the meantime, do you need anything? Does your family need some food? Do we need, do we, you know what I'm saying? We need to be the body, amen? So that people could say, man, I got together with the word of God and, they, and, and, and the people of God and they encouraged me and I, I'm uplifted. I still might not have a job. I still might be struggling, but I'm uplifted. Somebody took care of me today. God met me. Somebody say amen. amen. See, these are some, there, there's some of you here right now that have some amazing conversion stories. And because of that, at one point, you were so zealous for God that you would do anything in every ministry you could. You were always talking about the Lord. You were always ministering. And, and now we're blessed to see you once or twice a month. What happened? If you've ever loved God more than you do now, you're in a backslidden state. Do you, do you, can you receive that today? That's a harsh word, I know. Some of us need to look back a minute and, and instead of just seeing the resistance, instead of just seeing the trial, the pain, <coughs> we need to take a look at how you got through. Can we, can we flip it right now for a moment? Let's go back to those encounters you had where you knew only God could have brought me through that. Does anybody, has anybody had one of those? 
Look around at the hands, would you? Just to be encouraged. Does anybody have one of those where you know, listen, look around carefully because this is big. Look around and say, you had one of those experiences where you know only God could have gotten you through that. Look, man, if there was two hands up, we still should be encouraged. But look how many. Can you tell, can somebody say just God is real, man? God is real. Paul, Paul is saying, listen, some of those hardships that we went through, can we look back now and say they were a gift? That's hard, right? But, but some of those hardships that we went through, they were a gift. You think about the peace that you experienced in the midst of the storm. <laughs> think about how when you couldn't take another thing more, it stopped. Anybody been there? Think about how God brought you to a place of strength that you didn't even know you had. Anybody in the room? Think about how it built strength and released power through you. See, Paul has gone through these horrendous experiences and trials and issues and dramas and heartaches, but he's also had these amazing encounters with God. God showed him a glimpse of heaven in a vision that was only for him. Paul didn't write a book. Like everybody does now, right? I had a dream and God, you know, God gave me a vision. That was a vision just for Paul. Paul says, God says, I love you, Paul. I'm going to give you a vision just for you. Not for you to share with anybody. Not for you to, just to, to give you an encounter with me. Isn't that amazing? So, so God gives him that, but God also gives him a thorn in the side. And understand, this is, this is crazy. There's been a lot of debate about this. The, the Bible doesn't clearly tell us at all what that thorn is, what that handicap is. A lot of commentators, and, and, and they'll, they'll speculate, and they'll say, well, that was, he had a problem with his vision. Or they'll say it was a, a physical problem with his stomach. Some say that thorn was that opposition, that everywhere he went, there were always going to be people fighting against him and opposing him. But the, we, we, it's all speculation. The word is not clear what that thorn is, only that God gave it to him, that God used the enemy to buffet him in it, and that it was there to keep him from falling into pride. And we do know that, that Paul prayed. He prayed. He said, God, remove this from me. He prayed three times. That's, that's an expression more. That means it wasn't just three times. Paul prayed about this. He said, God, remove this from me. God, I can't keep on with this. God, I can't keep rolling like this. God, remove it. And then, see, Paul was desperate in his desire to be relieved of this burden. But listen, there's two ways that God takes away burdens. Sometimes God will lift the load, and sometimes God will strengthen you under the load. You probably have a preference, <laughs> but God doesn't ask you his, your preference. Because you know why? If we always, check this out. Look at this picture God just dropped on my head. If we always said, if God always said, okay, listen, I can remove that load or I can make you stronger to carry that load, we would probably always say, remove the load, remove the load, remove the load. Anybody? Remove the load. Okay, I can remove the load or I can strengthen. Remove the load. Remove the load. What would happen? Our whole Christian walk, we'd never grow. 
We never get strong. We never be built. We'd always be this skinny leg Christian that had no power to stand. Because every time something happened, we said, remove the load, remove the load, remove the load. Instead of saying, God, give me strength to carry this load, this one. The next one removed, but, but give me strength to carry. And maybe every third one, all right, God, all right, I'll take this one. Give me the strength to walk through this one. But, but understand, now we're getting strong. Now the things that would send us running now will make us laugh. Amen? I remember when I first became a Christian, I was really into cars, and God and, and the enemy would attack my car every Saturday before church. Every Saturday. I was really into cars. I, I loved cars. I would get to my car, my windshield wipers would be like this. Like, why would somebody just grab my windshield wipers and go like that? I would get to, this happened, uh, ask my wife, it happened all the time. We get, we lived in Manhattan for a time, and I would get to the car, and, it, you know, we parked in front of bars and stuff. Somebody had thrown up all over the, 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 the windshield. Mike, really? It had to be my car? Really, God? I got a clean, dry throw up in this morning before I go to church. Right? It was always something until I learned to say, you know what, my car, I could care less about the car. And then God started giving me jalopies, and I had jalopy after jalopy after jalopy. So there was no respect in my cars anymore. Nobody respected me for my cars. They said, bendito, look what he's driving now. And I didn't care. And so you know what? The attack stopped coming on the car. Because the enemy knew that didn't matter to me anymore. Why? Because I grew. I got stronger. God, God developed something in me that showed me priority. Said my, my family's priority. I got to get my family to church no matter what. I don't care how we get there. I don't care if we leave a trail of smoke. I don't care if we're choking everybody behind us in the car. But we're going to get to church because that's what matters. Amen? So, so we have to let, allow God to, to uh, teach us to bear the load. Amen? Instead of taking away. Church, many of the things that we've been asking God to remove from us, God has been making us strong enough to deal with them. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough. Spurgeon says it this way, the the sufficiency that's declared in this word is without any limit. It means, therefore, I understand the passage to mean that the grace of our Lord Jesus is sufficient to uphold thee. It's sufficient to strengthen thee. It is sufficient to comfort thee. It is sufficient to make that trouble useful to thee. It is sufficient to enable thee to triumph over it. It is sufficient to bring thee out of it. It is sufficient to bring thee out of 10,000 like it. It is sufficient to bring thee home to heaven. Come on, there should have been a couple more amens with that. So, so why isn't Paul crying all the time? Why me? Why this? Why that? Why you don't like me? Why you don't love me? Why you don't follow me? Why you want to talk about me? Why is Paul still a Christian? Because at any time, listen to this, at any time in the middle of any future struggle or battle or hardship or pain or opposition, whenever something else comes up, he can look back and say, God delivered me from three shipwrecks. 
God delivered me from five floggings with 39 lashes. God delivered me from the Roman rod beatdowns. God delivered me from hunger, from poverty, from loneliness. When my friends turned against me, God was there. I've been at risk in the city. I've been at risk in the country. And every time, God kept me. When I was lost out in sea, God delivered me. Every time they tried to kill me, God rescued me. See, we can say that's too much to go through, but when we flip it and you say, that's, look at everything God brought him through. That's something we can't take away from him. Listen, church, maybe there's a thorn in your life. Maybe there's a messenger of Satan that God has allowed. I want you to start to look at it and say, the pressure of the thorn in my life is a reminder of the power of the cross. And that's why even after all of this, Paul can write years later in Philippians, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about nothing. Say nothing. Don't worry about nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Worship team, come on. Paul closes his letter to the Corinthians saying this. Listen, listen. Paul closes his letter to the Corinthians saying this. I'm coming back to you guys again. I'm writing you now so that you can get things in order before I come. 2 Corinthians, he says this, 13, right at the end. Test yourselves to make sure you are solid in the faith. Don't drift along taking everything for granted. Give yourselves regular checkups. You need firsthand evidence, not mere hearsay that Jesus Christ is in you. Test it out, and if you fail the test, do something about it. Paul is saying, listen, I'm coming back to you guys in Corinth. I'm coming back again, but before I get there, I'm giving you warning, and I'm giving you time so that those of you that are still messing around, those of you that are still in sin, those of you that are still opposing God and, and living in disobedience, get it together. Because when I come back, if I find it like that again, I'm going to have to be harsh with you. I'm going to have to deal with your sin. But Paul's saying, I'm not coming back right now. I'm giving you time. It's grace, amen? I'm giving you time so that when I come back, you, so that before I come back, you have time to work on it. Church, it's a picture of the gospel. Jesus says, I've given you these encounters. This is for everybody. Listen, bow your heads for a moment. I've given you these encounters. I've given you these experiences. I've, I've written you and I've met with you and I've, I've given you scriptures to stand on and promises to, you can rely on. I've shared with you through so many people so that when I come back to you, I don't want to come in judgment. I don't want to deal with you harshly, but I have to if I will. But I'm giving you time. Those that are helping me with communion, if you would come to the front. Church, I don't want to end today with an empty challenge for, for people to do better. You can go to Barnes & Noble and buy 37 help, self-help books and find out how to do better and how to be better. 
I don't want your focus today to be, uh, I have to stop cursing so much. I have to stop drinking so much. I have to (coughs) stop sleeping around so much. I have to get it together already. Don't get me wrong. That's all true. That's all true. But we know that already. Right? You, you can't sit in this church week after week and not know that there are some things in your lives that are not pleasing to God. There's some things that we're doing wrong. We, we've got some things that are out of order. We know that. The call today and the call that should be every week in every church, wherever the word is preached, is to throw ourselves upon the grace of God. When we hear the word proclaimed, the proper response is confession. The proper response is repentance. The proper response is humbling ourselves before a gracious and mighty God. In that place of humility, we can come to the table of the Lord. The beautiful thing about communion is that we come to communion empty-handed. The awesome thing about communion is that we can't bring anything to it. All we can do is partake in it. All we can do is accept it. All we can do is receive it. Do you know that not one of us is worthy today to take communion? Not one of us is worthy to stand before God and and partake and remember the body and the blood. Not one of us. All we can do is receive it or reject it. There's nothing that we can bring to this meal. It's not a potluck. We come empty-handed, and Christ gives us His body as our bread. He gives us His blood as our drink. Christ becomes our sufficiency. So church, no matter where you are today, I want you to hear these words. My grace is sufficient for you. Gary, can you come and pray for the communion? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Unless you've already eaten it, I'm going to ask you to hold on to the communion so that we could all do it together. But if you already did it, it's fine. But there's a story that I've told before that that I believe relates to the scripture of of what God's grace is. And so you, you might have heard this before, but... When my daughter was a little girl, I was going through a very difficult time, one of the hardest times in my life. And just like Paul, I prayed to God. I said, I can't take one more day. And I went out with my daughter one morning, and I got halfway down the street, and you know what I did? I stopped. I said, I'm not taking one more step. 
I'm not going on. This is too much. I give up. I quit. <coughs> See, sometimes... It, life presses in so hard, and the oppression. See, I know what it means by the thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan. Because as I said last week, when Satan comes, not only does he afflict you, but he puts thoughts into your head. Nothing's ever going to change. God forgot about you. And I got out there in the street on Leopard's Boulevard in Queens, and I just stood there, and I was determined. That's it. I don't care if I die. I don't care what happens. And my daughter, who was about six years old, she took my hand, and she pulled me and said, let's go. And that's how I got going again. That's why I'm standing here today. And that's a picture of the grace of God. That's the picture of the sufficiency of God's grace. When you can't stand it, when you can't sleep at night. See, I know everybody's going here goes through problems. If I asked who's going through a difficult time, every one of you would raise your hand. But see, what this scripture is talking about, what Paul was saying, when he cried out to God and said, I can't take it anymore. God, take this away. He was going through such a time where the enemy was oppressing him. And when God said, my grace is sufficient for you, what he was saying, no matter what you go through, no matter how bad your situation, you can find me in the midst. I am your strength. I am your courage. I am the power of God working in your life. And the reason we need to take communion today, because communion is a reminder of what Jesus has done for us. It's a reminder of his promise that no matter where you go through, it says in Romans, if you go down into hell, if you come to a place in your life when you're overcome, overtaken with depression, when you can't take another breath, it says you can't shake God. He's with you. He's bringing you through. He's drawing you close. He's strengthening you.